As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello, you're listening to The Game Podcast from The Times. I'm Hugh Wissencroft. It's a gloriously sunny morning, by the way, where I am. The smell of freshly cut grass outside, the birds chirping in the trees, and a certain Premier League outfit was knocked out of the League Cup by a League One side in Hull City last night. What a beautiful day. What a great mood I am in. And I've got three smiley faces looking back at me as well. Hello, Jonathan Northcroft, Alison Rudd and Gregor Robertson. Hello, how are you doing? I'm good. I didn't mention their name, so they can't come for me too quickly. <laughs> You're a brave man. You're a brave man. <laughs> their great start to the season continues. Anyway, we won't talk about them on today's pod. They've had, they've had their fair share of headlines uh, so far this season. Today on The Game Instead, we're going to ponder the footballing hunger and ambition of both Gareth Bale and Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. We'll assess Chelsea's start as they prepare for a trip to Anfield and we'll focus on the plight of Macclesfield Town as well after they're wound up in more ways than one. But we start... Uh, With some long-awaited news, really, in terms of Arsenal and maybe some surprising news in terms of Spurs. The Arsenal's captain, uh, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, signing a new three-year deal worth in excess of £350,000 a week. And he said on signing, I believe in Arsenal, the best is to come. What a a coup that is for them to keep him at the club. And it could be an even bigger coup across North London. Spurs closing in on a one-year loan deal for Gareth Bale from Real Madrid. Another 31-year-old, by the way, Gary Jacob, uh, reporting in the Times, the total package expected to cost Spurs £20 million for just one season. Who is it a better move for, do you think, Tottenham Hotspur or Gareth Bale? It's a good move for Gary Jacob. He's obviously got a portrait in the attic if you think he's 31 years old. Um, wow. I think, I, think, I think this is one of those stories that you kind of... It's like, it's like being read the Hansel and Gretel story when you're a kid and then you wake up one day and you see there's a line of breadcrumbs leading from you know a cottage in the village and think, actually, did they come true? Because it's all Spurs fans have ever talked about since he left is when are we going to get him back? When are we going to get him back? And I think it's deeply ironic and slightly poetic that he's come back at a sh- the strangest moment in Spurs' history because they are at this awful, awfully weird point. They have this glittering stadium They've brought in a manager and, and ostensibly forget the, the magic of Spurs and the style of Spurs. We've brought in a manager who's supposed to win trophies who does not look like he can. You've got the backdrop of the Amazon documentary, which gives us strange insight, whether we believe it or not, into what we're actually seeing into the manager and the way the club operates and, and what sort of character Daniel Levy is. And I can't help thinking that it's all fed into each other. And one of the reasons that Gareth Bale is coming back to North London is because 
Levy is now aware that people are assessing his character and his strategy and his devotion to the club. And this is a way of making yourself a hero. You're doing what every Spurs fan has wanted for so very long, whether it's a good footballing reason or not. I mean, I think that could all very well be true, but he's also one of the best players in the world. So uh, he's fallen on difficult times, obviously, in the last couple of years at Real Madrid. But, um, you know, the, the whole returning hero narrative is very powerful. But at the same time, he's going to improve Spurs' team. There's no doubt about that. Um, and it needs improving. So, you know, there are question marks about about Mourinho and the kind of the system that he's employing at the moment and even question marks about how Bale will fit into that. But there's no question that he's uh, he's going to improve their team. So uh, on loan, it's a, it's, a, it's a great sign in my view. It's exciting, isn't it? Yeah. It does look to me like um, Spurs have moved to a different phase, let's say. I mean, signing Gareth Bale for a year um, is just a wonderful indulgence and brilliant for the fans, of course. And he's still got enough to to produce a lot this year. Um, but it's kind of short term as well. And that's that's not necessarily to to sort of criticise it, but it's just recognition that Spurs have they've like built and built for four or five years with younger players. You don't sign Jose Mourinho um, as your manager to, to build anything. You sign to try and deliver something. And to me, bringing in Bale is, is a kind of um, extension of that logic. And then, you know, you look at the other side, the departures, Kyle Walker-Peters is gone, Delhi might now go, um, Lamella might not go. These are players that they were developing. So they're, they're in a different phase. And what's really fascinating about it is this, this kind of Jose narrative because uh, he has to deliver now. You know, the whole narrative of you, this is the, the Mr. Nasty that you get to knock heads together, which is what the whole documentary was about. And then he'll come out at the other end with a trophy. Well, it has to happen now, especially with, with Gareth Bale and with everyone else pushing so hard this year as well. It's just, Premier League's a wonderful soap opera, isn't it? And Bale coming back is just the latest storyline. It's interesting what you say about the expectation that Gareth Bale might bring to Spurs, both on Jose Mourinho and also the reasons that were just highlighted around Daniel Levy. There are reports that he is the person more than Jose Mourinho that's pushing for this Gareth Bale deal. And I find that, I find that really interesting because he seems to have been a guy over the years who isn't really there to try and impress the fans. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? So what's changed? Well, I don't know. Is, Is he at a stage of life where... You know, he just wants to, I, I, I don't know, maybe it's a middle-aged man talking, but he just wants to have well, some fun. Well, this is his Ferrari. You know, this is it. He's, he's, <laughs> he's just bought a great big motorbike and, and, and enjoys a Mourinho and this is a leather jacket now or something like that. I don't know. I mean, is he, there's always been talk about Spurs, um, you know, one one day Joe Lewis will sell. He, he, he's not getting any so younger, obviously, and, and, and um, has never been that interested in football. So one day we'll, they'll sell. Is this part of the, you know, the Amazon documentary? Was that part of like the, the glossy prospectus? And then you sign bail and you deliver something and you get your new stadium. I, I don't know. I mean, it does raise a lot of questions. Because as you say, it's not the Daniel Levy that would sort of drive a hard bargain to get every last penny out of a deal for Michael Dawson or whatever. This is this is like showman stuff, isn't it? This is, this is different, Daniel. Um I don't know what, what what's what's the what's the next sort of uh, vanity purchase. But isn't it in it, it is consistent in some respects in that you could argue Spurs are getting an absolute bargain if they're getting Real True. Madrid to pay some of the salary 
I mean, that's exactly the sort of thing that Daniel Levy would love, wouldn't he? Yep. It makes sense. I mean, if there were fans in the stadiums, it's, that's one of the weird things about this. It would make a lot of sense if there was a kind of bums on seats element. And there isn't. I know clubs make their money now from, you know, merchandise and stuff like that. But, but they are, you know, that idea of, of, of bail as this kind of a signing that will pay for itself would, would be more plausible if, if, um, if there were full houses, I think. But, yeah, I mean, you're right, Al. It's not, it's not going to break the bank in modern football. It's just probably going to mean that they get rid of some young players and it's a sort of different path that they're going along. Well, Mourinho hates young players, so you know, <laughs> the narrative continues. I know you'll, you'll probably sign Ruben Loftus-Cheek now, now that he's sort of available five years after he, he, he sort of blocked his progress at Chelsea or something like that. He's probably the right age now. <laughs> <laughs> and slow enough. <laughs> one of the one of the interesting things about this Gareth Bale deal, reading about it last night and this morning, it's reported it's going to cost Tottenham twenty million pounds for the one year. Now, obviously, Spurs and Daniel Levy borrowed one hundred and seventy-five million pounds from the Bank of England during the summer. Uh, reports to help them with the COVID nineteen crisis, and at the time, Jose Mourinho said, "We're not going to be spending rivers of money." And the implication from Tottenham Hotspur was that things are going to be pretty frugal. So £20 million for a loan player in one year, given the financial position and all the money that they've got to pay back for the stadium, I think that was the thing that was most surprising for me. I think that the fact that um, Bale has been so injury prone over the last year as well kind of adds to that as well. You know, he's had hamstring, ankle, calf issues. You know, he's not played as much football even when he has been fit, but those have been big issues. So if they are forking out that sum of money and it's a player whose kind of fitness record is, is questionable at the moment, it is a risk. But I, look, I still think, you know, we, we, <laughs> we're thinking about a lot of sort of narratives and plot lines to this. It's Gareth Bale. Gareth Bale is one of the best players in the world. And although he's had a difficult, difficult two years, the fact that he's coming to Tottenham Hotspur is a major coup, even, even if they spend £20 million for a loan. I, I think it's a great deal. You're very much seeing the silver lining of this move. You know, there are <laughs> uh, there are things that could go wrong. We've got to point them out. Uh, one of the reasons earlier on I mentioned Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, by the way, him taking 350k a week at Arsenal and Gareth Bale as well. I, I'm sort of disappointed in the two of them. Um, I'm obviously not a Spurs or an Arsenal fan, but in terms of ambition and hunger left in football, both of them 31 years old, I think both of these... Um, stories this week underlying, in my opinion, a lack of ambition, a lack of hunger on the part of both. And I'll explain why. On the part of Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, look, I completely get it. I don't begrudge any player signing a big deal. 350k a week for another three years. No one else was offering him that. But you've got to look at his time at the club so far. Sixth, fifth and eighth in the three years there. It's the fourth straight year Arsenal are going to be playing in the Europa League. This is a guy who scored, I think, 76 goals in 111 games for Arsenal. He's a guy that could be playing for a team that wants to win the Champions League. Instead, he wants to stay at a club that's not even in it. And let's be honest, if you look at the Premier League, might not be in it for seasons to come, the next three years of his deal. So I didn't really get why he wanted to be at the club other than adulation from the fans and the salary, for me, that's a lack of hunger. When you get to, to Gareth Bale, I can completely get it. He wants a bit of happiness. He hasn't had a great time at Real Madrid. The fans haven't exactly adored him. That's what he's going to get at Tottenham Hotspur. But again, we're talking about a player that should be thinking about winning the Champions League based on talent. 
who is now going to a team that's also in the Europa League, has no chance of winning the Premier League, has zero chance of winning the Champions League in this one year, obviously, because they're not even in the tournament. So, so what really do you get from going to Tottenham? And this is a guy, by the way, that was happy to go to China a year ago. So you're signing Gareth Bale, Gregor, in terms of the name, but are you signing a Gareth Bale that wants to go and win trophies when he's frankly won them all already? There's more to life than winning trophies, Hugh. I think that's something we all f- always forget about footballers. And even, you know, Gareth Bale has been quite open about the fact that he, he's lost something, lost a little fraction of his love for the game in his time at Real Madrid in particular. You know, he was, he was whistled and booed from the stands when he had a bad game and his relationship deteriorated massively. So he's looking now, I think. It, yes, he probably did lose a little bit of his hunger. And now... I think it's probably commendable that he wants to come and play football regularly. Um, so I, th- I, I, th- I see that as that is his ambition now. It's not he wants to play football regularly. He wants to enjoy playing football again, and trophies would be, you know, would be a bonus. Obama Yang, there are. You're right. He could play for a Barcelona. I think Barcelona even the reports he came in. They came in for him just before he signed. Um, but we're we're also living through a very a kind of a questionable, a, a depressed market. Um, we're not sure who these teams are. Even Barcelona are in turmoil. You're not you're not guaranteed silverware there. So, and he spoke about legacy. I'm not entirely sure about that. I think he he you know he's looked around, saw that his options were a little bit limited in this current market, and sees a fat contract that takes him up to 34. Um, and he's happy in life, and probably happy in life in London. And he's loved by the fans. And let's face it, Arsenal are on the up again. He's, the, the transformation under Arteta has been impressive. I mentioned that last week. Um, so he has a chance of winning silverware, and he's just won the FA Cup with Arsenal. So I think on balance, you know, yes, trophies aren't everything. There is there is more. There's other elements of ambition in football. I think if footballers only ever moved because <laughs> because they wanted to win the Champions League, Hugh. I mean, there'd, be, there'd just be a very long line of people outside of Anfield and nowhere else. <laughs> <laughs> we're talking oh. about what my point is. We're talking about two players capable of winning it, and I know Gareth Bale's won it four times, who aren't even going to be in the Champions League. I mean, I'm not saying necessarily go to one of the best teams in world football, but you don't even want to be in the Champions League. And how often do fans talk about, well, if we're in the Champions League, we can attract the best? Obviously not, it seems. I'd rather not be on the bench in the Champions League and be on the pitch in the Europa League if I was a player at that age as well. Big Europa League fan in the house. (laughs) (laughs) Thursday night. Loves a Thursday night, yeah. I'd rather play. I just think it's the market. I just, I just think there's. I, I know there was a bit of talk about Barcelona. I didn't really believe that. And you know, they, they, they don't have any money. Real Madrid are saying they're going to spend next year. Um, Liverpool are, are, are being careful. Manchester City have got their own sort of agenda. They don't tend to sign those those sort of older types. Um, Bayern Munich do not need to sign anyone, and if they do, it'll be the next, you know, sort of one for the future PSG aren't signing and you look lower down the, the levels at, at, at your Jack Grealish's and Madison's you know they they weren't able to find anyone interested in them um, and I, I just think you know Aubameyang he kind of, the fact he drew it out a little bit um, is at odds with the whole sort of legacy thing I think, I think he was clearly seeing what was available and the answer was not very much everyone, everyone wants to offload not sign at the moment so I just think that's where we that's where we are. That's that's why these deals are taking place. 
to the editors at the Times thinking that Alison wants to be at the, the Champions League games next season, by the way. She's all about Thursday. <laughs> no, no, no. She's, she just wants to write in the Europa League. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> Send her over to Plovdiv. She'll love it. Uh, you're listening to The Game Podcast, by the way. Uh, make sure you hit subscribe on your podcast app if you're enjoying it. Stay right up to date with everything we've got every Monday and Thursday. And of course, all the great writing we've got for you in The Times as well. VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves. Feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Uh, we're going to discuss Timo Werner, Kai Havertz, and look ahead to Chelsea's uh, trip to Anfield and Liverpool a little bit later on. But before we do that, before we look ahead, I think it's hugely important we discuss what has happened at Macclesfield Town. After 146 years of, of history, the High Court has wound up the club over debts of more than £500,000. And it's just, it's a terribly sad situation, but it seems to be one we're seeing all too often in the Football League. Yeah, I mean, I think the first thing I would say about this is that the football is, in the lower leagues is going to go through a lot of pain in the coming months, I think. And as long as foot fans aren't allowed and there's no match day revenue, there's a lot of pain coming down the road. But this is not because of COVID. This is because of their owner, Amar Al-Qadi, um, and his neglect over a number of years. He's been owner for 17 years and his interest is kind of peaked and troughed, but mainly troughed. And in the last last few years, um, it's been very fleeting and he's rarely been at any games. And players, players were paid late six times alone last season, but they were paid late in the year when they won promotion in 2018, which was a, a minor miracle, with a budget, an annual budget of 350,000, which is a week of Aubameyang's wages, of course. Um, so... This is not just because of COVID, but, you know, uh, it's something that's been going for a long, long time. And it's tragic, really, because the supporters have been pleading with them. In fact, they wrote a letter uh, a week ago and posted it on their Supporters Trust website, pleading for him to sell and essentially threatening a boycott until he does and saying that we're willing to willing and prepared to set up a Phoenix club and start at the bottom. And in those words have turned out to be probably prophetic. So... 
it's it's tragic, and it, uh, you know there, we will we we will see more clubs in trouble, but it's going to be because of issues in the past, and that puts them closer to the precipice. I wonder, just around Macclesfield Town and ownership generally in the football league, if you take them as, as, as an example, lost money in seven years of the last 10, losses during that time of over £4.8 million. Pounds. That's a team right towards the bottom of the football league. And if you look at other clubs and the plight, for example, of Southend United, they've actually got a winding up petition at the moment. That's been adjourned until the end of October, by which they need to pay nearly £500,000 that they owe to HMRC. Um, people talk a lot about owners and directors testing football and judging the right owners to come in. I've always felt a sustainable model's the right way. I feel a bit like listed buildings, football clubs should be protected because of their community worth and you shouldn't be able to just tear up the script, go in and decide that the training ground's going to become flats, you know, as soon as you buy a club and start stripping assets, it needs to be protected. Do you think, do you guys think that the EFL, even if we talk about the Premier League, has done enough over the last, you know, this boom period in football, what the last 20 years to protect football teams? Jonathan? The problem is that the, the EFL is just the clubs. You know, yep. the EFL, it's a bit like the Premier League. It's, it's actually just a, a trades body that, that represents the club's interests. It's not like a, an independent regulator that actually has the power to impose solutions. And I, I think you're totally right. There has to be more ethos of running clubs for the greater good rather than for an owner's profit and, and to protect communities and all that kind of stuff. But to get that to happen, you'd have to get, the clubs, the owners themselves, to agree to that, to agree to limits on um, directors fitting proper tests, to agree to limits on maybe you know maybe you could have a fan-owned model where the fans own 51%, like in Germany, but it, ha- it would have to be the owners via the EFL voting that out. I think their power is actually more limited than than we think to to, to stop all this happening and. You know, you look at you look at things like um, salary caps, which is totally necessary, but it's taken so long to bring in. And again, that's because club owners don't really want to vote for it because there's a lot of individuals there that are looking to make a, a quick dash to the Premier League and don't want to be limited. So maybe we're maybe what we're at is at a point with COVID and so many clubs that are going to face the same fate that there'll have to be a bailout from somewhere. Maybe that will come from the government or, or football league, and maybe that's the only way to. Uh, you know, this, there might be strings attached to that bailout, which would be right. We're going to set up um, some kind of different model. I think it has to be imposed on them because I, I can't see the the clubs voting for it. But you know, to to, to go back to your point, it has to change it right because um, every club. Like you know, for the, for the there's, there's two footballs really, isn't there? There's the top clubs that are chasing. The glamour, but then there's these clubs that are there for their communities, um, like Berry, where and like Macclesfield have been for 150 years. And there's this the, the, football's actually there's, there's just two different reasons for having clubs. So maybe that's to be in the EFL a different model that's that's sort of imposed on them at the top. But it's just difficult. It's just it's getting fa- it's getting clubs to vote for it. It's getting owners to agree to limits. That is is the biggest issue, and it's getting fans to accept it as well because fans kind of get all excited about dashing the Premier League and, and don't want to be limited either. Um, so I, I suspect there might be more pain before we get to a point where people really change. We're at this point now, I think, and I agree with Gregor, I think there's going to be a lot of pain to come. It's because of a 
a lack of big picture thinking for so many years. I went to when I went to Oldham Athletic because they had a, a decent FA Cup run a couple of years ago, and I was. I was actually quite shocked. You know, when you go and see like an elderly relative in hospital and nobody's warned you that they've lost eight stone and they're going to look nothing like you remember. It was, it was, it was, there was rubble, right? There was rubble. And one of the chaps at the club, he stood there outside the ground. It's so dilapidated. And the town was looking dilapidated. And he stood there and he pointed in different directions, pointed out all the myriad clubs that are within a 40 mile radiance of Oldham, which is why it cannot attract fans. It cannot be a sustainable business because it's just not competitive. There are too many, too many clubs in one area. And yet nobody thinks about the bigger picture of what that might mean. It might mean um, mergers. It might mean things that really hurt the fans. But ultimately, you need to think it's like, you know, the cotton industry is gone. I mean, the, the tin industry has gone. The football industry, the idea that you can have eight clubs within a 50 mile radius just because they're old and historic, it doesn't make them viable businesses. And we've, well, the reason you get people buying the clubs is because they can get in relatively cheap, get the glamour of owning a football club. And nobody really, they're so grateful for somebody who looks like they might have some money who might just keep you staggering afloat without thinking about long-term viability. And maybe COVID will make people realize we just have to be a bit more imaginative and treat them as businesses and not romances. But that's because of the person at the helm. I mean, you could point at countless clubs who have been run sensibly and and with care and attention. Like Harrogate Town just been promoted to the Football League. It's a tiny club who, over a period of about 10 years, have developed year by year, year by year. And, oh, you know, there's a family connection there. There's a father and son who are the, the owner and, and manager. There's clearly love, love shown towards the club. Macclesfield were shown the absolute opposite to that. They, you know, and and they've been harshly treated by the EFL, in my view, because they were deducted two points in in June by an independent disciplinary uh, panel, and that would have kept them in the league. They were, you know, they were basically a mid-table team, and the EFL, as we're coming back to Johnny's point about it being a members' club, their members were outraged. Other League Two owners were outraged about this because Macclesfield had been a serial offender. And paying late late payment of wages, they failed to play two games this season because the players were boycotting over it. Uh, and so they boycotted the EFL and the EFL appealed the decision. And then a subsequent panel decided to enforce another four point penalty and they were relegated. So, but the thing to say about that is the EFL, even the season before last, did nothing when Bolton paid their players regularly late, did nothing when Burry did. And when Burry went to the wall, that changed their approach dramatically. So Macclesfield are almost being like a, the first guinea pig in this really strict lockdown, clampdown, sorry, on uh, any breaches of regulations. So anytime they've put, they're the first club who've ever been deducted points for failure to pay their players on time. As you say, Hugh, Hugh clubs are not just straight up businesses. The owner has to kind of abide by certain standards and many of them aren't and that fundamentally is why clubs are going to the wall I'll thank Kieran Maguire of Price of Football by the way on Twitter for the stats that I've already given on Macclesfield Town and the next one only 12 of 48 League 1 and League 2 clubs broke even on the last accounts and that was pre-Covid-19 so just to move things forward slightly it's clear from that 
We need fans back as soon as possible. And some good news. Eight clubs this weekend are going to have a thousand fans inside the ground, socially distanced, a trial with the government. Important that that goes well, really. It's going to be two championship clubs, four in League One and two in League Two. This is a massive weekend, Jonathan, for, for football in the Football League. Oh, it's it, it's huge because this is this is the key to everything. Um, the, the TV deal isn't enough, even at the championship level, let alone lower down. Um, you know, the, the, the only way for these clubs is, is fans back in. It's it's massive, and you know, I mean, I'm so confused about where we are with with COVID and and what what's what's possible and stuff like that. Maybe if there was grouse shooting displays before each game, then we'd be allowed to do what we liked. I don't know, but um, it seems to me perfectly possible to have a thousand people in an open air um, lower league ground uh, with plenty of distancing. Um, the, the, it seems to me that the issues might be actually be you know higher up when when you've got packed huge old Premier League stadiums. Uh, this has got to happen. The, the, the football league tried to do a few things. They've got like a, a thing called iFollow, which is all about um, allowing streaming games for free um, if you're a season ticket holder of a, of a club, and they're trying to get sell that to fans and get a bit of revenue in. Um, but it's only scratching the surface. The only ways to to get them into to uh, through the turnstiles so let's let's hope it goes all right and that this opens up because if it goes on much longer without fans it's, it's death for a lot of them look everything in life now in in this sort of age of coronavirus is a balance between risk and reward it's kind of between the economic factor and a health factor and we you know we we football clubs need fans in the ground but there is a bigger picture as well and you know i i, I think that it's looking quite unlikely that we're going to have a significant number of fans in stadiums in the rest, for the rest of this year, perhaps, because when winter comes, it's, you know, the forecasts aren't great. So I think really we need to look at a bigger picture about how clubs are going to be helped to survive. And that might mean uh, support from, from the Premier League and, and elsewhere. If they do, if they do get a thousand fans back at the EFL, clubs and it, it's it looks like it, it worked you know you need, you need the fans to behave themselves you need you need the clubs to be imaginative on how they get people in and out that's the key point isn't it is just making sure you don't get suddenly a congregation it could it could happen accidentally you just need to be uh clever about the logistics of it maybe one thing you could do to boost revenue is be you know think of ways if you've got the people there find ways to get them to spend more money so not just buckets and handouts but uh there could be raffles for things the players could offer every you know every shirt signed and you could make money because you could bid for them it could be um all sorts of you could make it feel like a family because you've got so make a virtue out of the fact you haven't got a lot of people there make them feel special um i don't know put a rug on the seat with a with the crest of the club and charge them 80% profit on it or something. I think as soon as you get movement, as soon as you get people, they'll be so pleased to be there for a start. They might well be in the mood to dip into their pockets because you started this hue in a sort of, I sort of slightly romantic sense of, you know, these, if they were historic buildings, we'd treat them better. But the, the if there's an historic building that the nation loves the historic building, Macclesfield having been around since 1874 doesn't mean anything to anyone other than people from Macclesfield so they have to come together and find a way as if you know as if it was 
um, crowdfunding for a relative needing to fly to America for an operation. You know, if you love something enough, you'll find a way to save it. And maybe fans coming back is the first step in getting them to put their hands in their pockets. Alison, you've clearly never tried to buy a two-bedroom 16th century cottage in the Cotswolds, because I can tell you now the nation doesn't love it. But, but you can't touch it nonetheless. Trust me, you can't do what you want to these buildings. Someone somewhere must love them. Uh, anyway, let's look ahead then, uh, back to the Premier League, refocus on the, the weekend ahead. The big fixture coming in the Premier League. Again, it concerns Liverpool once again, but this time they go to Chelsea, who are fresh from their 3-1 win at Brighton. Germans at Kai have Wirt and Timo Werner made their debuts in the Premier League in that game. So what thoughts do we have uh, regarding the two of them and what impressions you got from that opening match? I mean, one's much more experienced than the other in, in football terms. You know, a year, a, year, a year in the life of a footballer is worth eight in the life of an accountant. You've got to remember that. So <laughs> T- Timo, Timo Werner just looked more um, robust, easily assimilated, um, the more mature of, of the pair and... Uh, actually, I think he looked like he he enjoyed. He said afterwards, "We don't get such huge defenders in the Bundesliga." But he looked like he really enjoyed that challenge, and I I got the impression from him that he he's enjoying the difference and the limelight, and he will, I think, be a success. I think I think Kai Havertz it looks a slightly more delicate soul in some respects, and. Um, uh, what I think probably what saved him, I know he got trolled quite a bit for his performance, but he what saved him a bit was that tracking back when he lost the ball and it gave his manager something to cling to about his attitude. So I think possibly it might take him slightly longer to get to grips. And it's partly not his fault because he's so adaptable as a player. He can play anywhere. I think finding the best place for him in a Chelsea team, which is already full of players that are flexible and adaptable and I don't think we're entirely certain what the best formation and deployment of players is for Chelsea that might it might have been easier for him to go to a club where it was very a very defined role for him and I think he's, he's flexible on that front but I I, I certainly think because uh, I um, I spoke to them both this week um, the club did an introduction for the media and you know their English is impeccable, and their attitude is amazing. And so that the, the, there will be no doubt about their intention to apply themselves vigorously and succeed. But I, my my instinct is that um, Timo will will settle in quicker. It looks like a a style thing actually for both of them. Um, I mean, Kai Havertz is such a talented footballer. I saw him when he was a a kid at Leverkusen. Um, I was invited over to watch a Bayern Munich game, and and it was actually him that caught the eye and you're like who on earth is this because he was just one of those at 17 that already seemed to know the game and have this sort of great array of what he could do um, and, and, and on and off the ball but um, he does I think probably work best as a, as a number 10 or somewhere along in somewhere slightly behind the attacking line and I wonder if Chelsea are going down the old Everton route of trying to cram in you know four or five um number 10 stroke sort of second striker type players uh, just to have as much fun as possible and not worry about the structure of the team because that was my worry watching them against Brighton I mean to see Loftus-Cheek on the pitch as well as Mountain Havertz was just sort of baffling and then you've got Timo Werner who just wants the ball through to him quickly he's got incredible pace 
just wants to be released fast. He doesn't want a whole lot of you know number tens to muck about with the ball first. So I don't know. They they, they look like they've signed real talent, but they're a long way from working out what to do with it. And this is a team that conceded 78 goals last year. And have any of those signings helped with with that? Um, they might have more fun with Kaya Verts and and Werner, but I don't know. I, maybe maybe they 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 could have done with a bit more spent in another area of the pitch. I don't know. But it's silly to blame. I mean, silly silly to try and judge Havertz after one underwhelming performance. I mean, you know, the guy's got huge talent. There's no question that Havertz was pretty underwhelming. I think when he came, I read when he came off with 10 minutes to go, only Loftus-Cheek had had fewer touches and he came <laughs> off 20 minutes earlier. So, um, yeah, but undoubtedly uh, a hell of a talent. So, and he's going to take time to bed in. I agree that Werner... What he does is he offers something different to Chelsea and something that they've not had in quite a long time. You think of a Chelsea number nine, and he might not always play number nine, we've got to caveat that, but you think of Costa, uh, Drogba, Giroud, big guys who hold up. He's Werner, someone who's going to chase him behind and he likes to stretch defences like that. So you saw that, you saw glimpses of that and Chelsea were quite direct actually, surprisingly so. But I think I think that's you know that could be valuable. So he offers something very different and... Um, and also, when they're playing Liverpool at the weekend, who are playing a very high defensive line, they've conceded 15 goals, I think, since they won the league in the last eight games. Uh, Van Dyke's had a few wrecks. I'm sure Alison would like to be hearing all this stuff. But um, Trent Alexander-Arnold, I think, is had a bit of a dip as well. There, you know, there are question marks about Liverpool's defence, little faint ones, but they're there. Uh, and so, for a team that like to play at such a high line, I think Werner could be a threat. Can we, can we agree? <laughs> Come on, <Alison. laughs> I was going to say, can we agree to always refer to Loftus Cheek as Tottenham bound from now on? Because I do, I do, I do like, I do like Jonathan's prediction. No, I think yeah, you might, you might, you might be right. It might be that Liverpool have just decided because they need to expand globally. They need to, they need to, they need to have a scoreline of four, three, or five, four every week. <laughs> <laughs> oh, are we are we are we doing a disservice to Leeds there? Leeds were just really good, and that Leeds team are going to be else is going to surprise people. And, and like you are you winding up you now? <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I think Leeds Leeds will have a good season. I just don't think it'll yeah, be as yeah, great yeah. as what people think it will. Listen, <laughs> on 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 Liverpool and the way they defended. Um, last weekend there were a lot of committed forward runners from Leeds which we mentioned and, and that may well be a route to success for Frank Lambert because we mentioned these sort of number 10 slash second striker types that they've got in the team at the moment that may well play into their hands also another thing contrasting I guess beaten 5-3 by Liverpool not long ago towards the end of July do you think there will be any fear factor? Remember the little arguments, tense words between the two managers on the touchline. Do you think this game will hold any fear for Frank Lampard? I think this is a perfect test to show that Frank Lampard has spent the very small, tiny close season getting to grips with the fact he's got a brand new role now. He's not, he's not the rookie manager. He's not somebody that we're all very fond of or that he's indeed his own club and ownership is fond of and are indulgent of. It's just the whole narrative's completely shifted for him now. And he's got, um, they've spent the cash, they've got, they've had the most exciting transfer window. So he now has to act, I think just act slightly differently. 
Last seasons, Frank Lampard probably would have gone there and thought, let's just go for it. We've got nothing to lose. Now, Chelsea don't have that tag anymore. They have everything to lose. I think they're expected to really properly challenge for the title. Not, you know, I mean, no one's saying well, they definitely could do it, but I think they're expected to put pressure on Liverpool to, to for their crown. So I think he has to go there and look savvy and clever. I think afterwards he will want people to say, oh, his substitutions were intelligent, and the way he the way he uh, tried to exploit, as you say. Gregor, uh, a Virgil van Dijk whose aura might have <laughs> been diluted slightly. Before. I don't know, he just needs to eat the right breakfast or something. But I mean, it, 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 there has been a wobble there. So does no one agree with me that last season that Frank Lampard did look like somebody who was being allowed to learn on the job and that now he can't do that? I agree, Ali. But I mean, what's wrong with that? He, 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 he had a pretty encouraging season um, he got that opportunity. The transfer ban probably gave him the, the 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 kind of breathing space. But now he's had 200 million quid spent, and of course he's got to deliver a bit more. I, th- I think that's that's the reality of being a manager, especially a Chelsea manager. So I think I think both is fair. Um, what will be interesting is there is there is another Frank Lampard. You know, there's a kind of harder edge guy to the the sort of urbane um, individual that we see. And we saw that as a player and. Whether Klopp's words will have will bring that out, um, you know, it'll be one of those you watch the pre-match handshakes and the body language a lot. But I thought Klopp's, I thought Klopp's words were quite clever because when managers talk like that about signings, they're usually just talking to their own supporters and their own board. And I think people thought he was making a big point about Chelsea. I felt he was actually just making a point about Liverpool. And looks like. Um, that pressure that he maybe applied is paying off with with Thiago arriving, which is enormously exciting, um, possibly for the the Premier League as well. So I, I thought that I thought that was what Klopp was going on about, and Lampard took the bait a little bit actually, in terms of taking it personally about Chelsea's spending. And maybe the older guy taught him something there. The only thing that I would say when it comes to Chelsea, my own personal view on on it is I think people will be surprised by the start of the season, given the big names, because there are so many players to integrate in that team that Chelsea might have to go backwards for five or six games before they can progress because Ben Chilwell's got to integrate. Thiago Silva's got to integrate, of course, with new teammates. Timo Werner, Kai Havertz, he hasn't just brought new names in. Hakim Ziyech, he's brought in probably five starters to his first 11. In that case, you're changing half of your outfield and they, they should take some time to gel. Um, But we mentioned one Thiago Silva. You've mentioned Jonathan Thiago Alcantara. Uh, Today, it's been reported that he will be finally, this is the one the Liverpool fans wanted, coming to Anfield. He'll be at Anfield. And... um, (laughs) And that's an important player, I think, for Liverpool to sign because a lot. I think a lot of their fans were saying, look, you've got to build when you're great. It looks like he's going to sign a four-year deal. This is the time to strike. He's a player that's just come off winning the Champions League and playing an integral part. And it's just about as good a signing as you can get for just over, what, around £25 million. So that is a, a coup, should we call it, for as big a coup as the Premier League champions can sign? It's the coup, it's the coup, it's the coup, it's the coup of the decade. since van dyke no but it's ah jonathan interesting you mentioned van dyke i've got a long list of reasons why tiago going to liverpool is amazing news but one of them is he has an aura i mean the, the the bloke has an aura and it's a van dyke style aura and i think sometimes if you just think back to when van dyke went to liverpool how transformative it was not just because of his 
ability to read the game and the, the way immediately when he heads a clearance, he heads it into the path of someone who can start an attack. It was, it was amazing. And I feel Tiago is, is very similar in that he, has, he looks like someone who believes that every interception, every tackle, every pass will be highly intelligent rather than just hoofing it. He's got, he's got that class, you know, A-star class about him. No, there's no doubt that, uh, that a signing will, will change the kind of dynamic for Liverpool and that no matter how good a team you are and how kind of powerful and dominating you've been in the last however long, you know, this natural, it's kind of human, human instinct to kind of take a bit of a, a deep breath and kind of exhale and, and not be able to hit the same standards. And, you know, perhaps Liverpool could have, but it, at, at the arrival of a new player changes, you know, it lifts people's kind of, lifts, lifts people's spirits at training and the, and the kind of, you know, think we're going again here. And he's a absolutely exquisite player, brilliant footballer, never loses the ball. And um, the one area as well, you know, you, people say that you want to say no. Uh, they need. They're going to have to look at the front three eventually, Liverpool, because they're all kind of of, of an age and you know getting getting slightly older at the same time. And beyond them, their their options are limited. But whoever they're signing, they're not going to play at the moment. So it's kind of I think the one area where they they, were, they could make an improvement wasn't was in the centre of the park. So uh, great signing for Liverpool. I, I like it as well because it's just Liverpool's a club that loves that type of player as well. You know, the, the 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 midfielder with real passing ability and vision. It just speaks to their traditions. I always like, you know, you, you think of your, go back to Jan, Jan Moby, but, you know, so how much they embraced Alonso. And uh, I, I just, I like signings where the club buys somebody that just kind of almost fits the, the culture, the aura that the club's got. And he seems that kind of player. It's an exceptional signing, I think, for Liverpool, also for the Premier League, because he's a, he's a great player to watch. And you wouldn't want to really, at this point in time, see him in any other team I think he's going to be able to unleash the best of the players in front of him a deep lying playmaker as well which is one of those rare things you know we we're used to seeing I think tacklers and people that are just there to win the ball back playing in that sort of role just in front of the back four but he's the type to pick the ball up and start attacks from deep he will be a great player to watch I wonder how many people will feel this tips the scales more I guess in in Liverpool's favour in terms of the title because I'm sure some people have them as their favourites I had Manchester City as my favourites and this this move slightly <laughs> brings some fear to me over yes. that prediction because I think now if you look at their team I guess Ginny Wijnaldum this means will be leaving the club but I don't think he you know in terms of an upgrade it's pretty significant Thiago Alcantara so Alison, you should be smiling why aren't you smiling? I am <laughs> well, I, I am I am I am very very happy I it's a bit like, you know, when you, uh, you, you do your Christmas list and you say to, to your mum and dad, I really want a guitar. And they go, no, 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 we can't afford a guitar. And then you wake up on Christmas morning and there's a guitar-shaped parcel <laughs> under the tree. And you'd convinced yourself it wasn't going to happen. I do feel like that. I fell for the PR. I fell for the Liverpool are not going to make a big signing. I fell for it. And now I'm, I feel like it's, it is Christmas morning for me. So, yes, I am very happy. <laughs> And I like the fact it's a game changer. It's a game changer for you, Hugh. I like that. <laughs> well, well, I haven't changed my prediction just yet, but I do think I do think it's going to be a bit of a rude awakening for Chelsea on Sunday. I'm always happy to stick my neck out. Liverpool were a little bit, for me, disjointed, including the defence in that first game against Liverpool. They would have, 
I think Jurgen Klopp would have given them, you know, a real talking to in the training ground this week. They would have been trying to sharpen things up. But it's a defence at Chelsea, which I don't think yet is at the point of beating a, a Liverpool at the moment. They just seem to get three points every time they go out without whether they impress and score five or not. So that's my big prediction for the weekend. I look forward to being back on Monday and being totally wrong once again, because that seems to be my vibe so far this season. <laughs> uh, my thanks to Alison Rudd, to Jonathan Norcroft and Gregor Robertson. Uh, a reminder, by the way, we'll be back on Monday, but you can listen to the game on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Acast, all your favourite podcast supplier. You can get the show and all other podcasts from The Times on the Times Radio app. All you've got to do is search Times Radio on your usual app store. Thank you for listening. We'll be back on Monday. helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.